BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. As you can see, I put music to keep myself like going and be positive and smile. I mean, they can't see my smile, but I try to put that energy out there. That's Benny Merlos. She's wearing a mask and a bright orange vest as she hands out free hot meals in front of a school near Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. She says she's meeting all kinds of people, including a grandfather who drove up recently. You know, he says, thank you. God bless you for what you're doing. And then and I said, thank you back. And he just like started crying and telling me that he's the like the support for the family, for his grandchildren. He lost his job and that he appreciates these meals like he's bringing home because right now he doesn't know what to do. Benny works at this school and she says it's helped families coming by to see a familiar face. I feel like it helps them say, you know what, we're going to go through this. We, we're all together on this, and we got to stay positive every day with good energy. That's all. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Today on our show, how Californians are stepping up to make sure people don't go hungry during this crisis. From a teenager volunteering at a food bank on Catalina Island, where at least 80% of locals have lost their jobs. We all know that we all need the help right now, especially since the whole island is pretty much shut down and no tourists are allowed to come in right now. To a man driving hundreds of miles to drop off food in remote towns in rural Trinity County. Cabbage, white onions, sweet potatoes, shredded cheese. Plus how Filipino chefs are working to feed healthcare workers on the front lines. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. We're going to start our show in Trinity County. It's a mountainous, rural, pretty remote part of Northern California. And when reporter Lisa Morehouse visited there a couple years ago, she learned that it's also one of the state's most food insecure counties. That means many people don't know where their next meals are coming from, even in the best of times. I mean, if you're hungry, you're hungry. I don't care who you are. If you're black, white, Indian, Mexican, fat, skinny... That's Jeffrey England. He rents the county's food bank. Lisa brought us a story about him back in 2017. She decided to check back in to see how the coronavirus pandemic has affected Trinity County and Jeffrey's work today. Nearly three years ago, I met Jeffrey England at dawn in the tiny town of Douglas City. He and three volunteers were almost done packing a couple of trucks with food. We're loaded to the gills. (laughs) There's produce, there's cabbage. White onions, sweet potatoes. 
prepared foods, special boxes for seniors, which they deliver once a month to distribution centers in far-flung communities across the county. Jeffrey cobbles together this food from a spider's web of local, state, and federal programs. Thank you. I joined him then in the cab of a 20-year-old truck with a rattling refrigeration unit. He was heading out to the southern part of the county, the longest route he navigates every month, 230 miles. When I make my trip, because of all the twisty, turny roads, I kind of have to take it a little bit easy. Too sharp a turn could have upended the pallets of food he'd packed for the 10 and a half hour drive. At the windshield, I saw vehicles that had fallen off the side of the road. When I called Jeffrey last week, he'd recently made the same run, but this time he delivered twice as much food. Normally we take two trucks. This time we had to use all four of our box trucks and actually got five volunteers to load pallets on the back of their pickup trucks. So we had a convoy of nine trucks going to Hayfork and then beyond. The Solid Rock Church in the former logging town of Hayfork is a monthly distribution spot. Because of COVID-19, they've now made it a drive through food bank, borrowing orange cones from Caltrans to create lanes. I mean, we're, we're gloving up, we're masking up. And asking people to pop their trunks or lower their tailgates before volunteers load them up with food. Bags of non-perishables, frozen foods, produce. I remember coming to this church three years ago and seeing about 50 people stopping by for food. The last time I was there was 113 households, so it was more than double. Much more. The numbers are up all over the county. Well, 54% from March to April, uh, and I anticipate even more in June. There haven't even been any cases of COVID-19 in Trinity County. But this place relies on the visitors who come to stay in hotels and explore the area's lakes and mountains. And tourism is shut down. Jeffrey was already overworked before coronavirus. But getting ready for distribution this time, he says, he worked 14 to 18-hour days. One day I took the day off and I had 70 phone calls before noon. and talked to the governor's office in my pajamas. (laughs) But he says everybody's really stepped up. A local foundation called and said, hey, what do you need? And I said, I need a 40-foot cargo container, 10 feet tall, 10 feet wide, that's insulated. And it was here in three days. And he had 90 volunteers in one week to stay as sterile as possible. They're not taking any clothing donations, no food from individuals. Right now, they've got enough food to hand out, but a big problem I never considered. One thing we're having a real problem with is... uh, bags to pack uh, because they have to be sterile. The grocery stores are out of bags. We just barely made it through uh, this month. Jeffrey tells me Trinity County towns with a few thousand people like Weaverville and Hayfork have grocery stores and a few restaurants are open for takeout or delivery. But I know from my 2017 visit just how isolated a lot of this county is. I rode along as Jeffrey maneuvered around potholes to get to the most remote drop-off point, a tiny town called Zinnia on the border of Humboldt County. He told me about a run a few winters ago when he defied Caltrans workers and drove a closed, snow-covered road to deliver food to people who'd been stuck for months. And I said, I have to go. Slip 
lost traction, gained traction, and I just I knew that they you know they needed the food, and so I decided to take a chance, and I made it. That's good. Good. No, we're grateful. It's it's not easy up here. That's Lauren Turner, who came to the food drop-off at the Volunteer Fire Department in Zinnia. Usually it's 100 miles in any direction from here to a, a large town where you can buy groceries. More than a two-hour drive one way to Eureka or Redding. Back then, Jeffrey told me this work is really personal for him. Many years ago, he struggled with addiction and unemployment. And it just felt so good to be able to go to a place when you're hungry. He remembers that first meal in a soup kitchen. It was in a church. It was spaghetti. It had garlic bread and a salad. I'm so happy to be able to turn the, turn the table and, and to be able to help people that might have been in my shoes before. He says right now, Trinity County is relying on him and his team at the food bank more than ever. For the California Report, I'm Lisa Morehouse. Okay, folks, welcome aboard the Cat Express. Travel time over to Avalon. That's the captain on the ferry from Long Beach to the town of Avalon on Catalina Island. These days, you can only ride the ferry for essential travel. You're not allowed to take your mask off during the trip. Um, that is mandatory. Our intern, Ariella Markowitz, is from Catalina, and she recorded that while she was heading back home to shelter in place with her mom. Now, there have only been two documented cases of COVID-19 on Catalina so far. But for a town that relies on tourism, the economy is devastated. The city of Avalon estimates somewhere between 80 to 90 percent of locals are unemployed. Ariella is going to bring us a story now about how a high school senior is helping to make sure nobody goes hungry. Avalon feels like an island ghost town. Most restaurants, hotels, beaches are closed. But outside the community church, dozens of families are standing six feet apart on the sidewalk, seeking out the shade on a hot spring day. They're chatting mostly in Spanish. Around two-thirds of Avalon is Latinx. Many are Mexican immigrants who work in the hospitality and food service industries. Now they're waiting in line at this food pantry. We all need the help right now, especially since the whole island is pretty much shut down and no tourists are allowed to come in right now. That's Danny Silvarios. He's a high school senior. I actually went to school with his older brother. Today he's putting together bags of groceries for elderly and disabled residents. Danny peels the saran wrap off a giant bag of instant ramen. He's been doing community service work for a long time. He's president of his school's volunteer club. I joined mainly because I had a bunch of free time on me. But as soon as I kept going with it, I, I pretty much just fell in love with helping out people. Danny says he didn't even know this food pantry existed a month ago. Before the coronavirus, it fed five to seven families a week. Now, 150 families come by each week for groceries. So there's all this sudden need for volunteers at the food pantry. And Danny and his fellow students are on the front lines. They're delivering groceries to people we've known our entire lives. Everyone I know on the island has been impacted by coronavirus. Even my mom, who works as a tour guide at the zip line, was furloughed. My sister usually works next door at the Aerial Adventure Park, but they're closed. 
They both just filed for unemployment. Do you have to put like two things of each in each bag? When I came to cover this story, fully masked, of course, the volunteers gave me a pair of gloves and asked me to help Danny bag some groceries. At that moment, I wanted to just take off my reporter hat and help out. And we got some tuna, we got a lot of tuna. <laughs> Danny's family is also out of work because the restaurant where his dad waited tables is closed. In Avalon, folks have been struggling to make it on a good day. Many high school students like Danny work to help support their families. The general goal is um, to work during most of the summer, like the two jobs I have, and then save up so I could get ready to go to, uh, uh, to college. He just committed to the University of Denver, and he received a big scholarship. But he's worried about his family. Everyone in Avalon is so used to constantly working. Danny says it's actually nice to finally have the time to bond, cook, and play board games. Right now, we're just playing Monopoly, and everyone seems to have fun. We, there is a night where we started like at 9 at night, and then we didn't finish until 1 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> yeah, we were there for a while. <laughs> Locals know they can't rush to bring tourists back. Because we live in such close quarters, there's a huge risk of community infection. In the meantime, folks here are hoping for generous state and federal relief money that will help people survive. Thank you so much. You ready, baby? Almost everyone in my hometown is struggling. But at the food pantry, there's this feeling of togetherness. For now, at least nobody is going hungry. Having a hard time here. That's quite all right. <laughs> quite all right. We're here to help you. Thank you so much. Now this, you know, you go to the end, right? The red, red eggs and milk. Thank yes. you for doing that. And then if it's possible, can we get some detergent and fish? Sure so that's okay. just seems For the California Report, I'm Ariella Markowitz in Avalon. We've got more stories coming up about efforts to make sure nobody goes hungry during this pandemic, but we're going to switch gears for a moment to bring you some voices from our listeners. Some of you have called into our voicemail to let us know how you're finding joy during these tough times. I'm Sarah Strong, and... And I'm Michelle White, and we're married, and we live in Berkeley, California. We just had a lot of fun dancing around in the street dressed as Cookie Monster and Big Bird. I was Cookie Monster. I was Big Bird. <laughs> and people were honking and yeah. waving at us, and it was great. It was just like, you know. The bus driver seemed to get a big kick out of it, and um, so each time a bus driver would pass, they, they would wave and laugh. Yeah, and that's our connection, because you love cookies, and because I'm the, bi- <laughs> I'm the big one of the two of us, so I'm Big Bird. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Hi, this is Eileen in Southern California. Uh, Because people abandon dogs and cats at the beach here, I've been getting up at 4.30 a.m. to sneak into the beach parking lots to feed them before the police arrive. I am so happy to say that I'm still able to feed them, that I see their little dog and cat faces running toward me at about 5 a.m. every morning, and at least they're not another casualty of this virus. Hi, I'm Tom Fox. I teach sculpture at a community college in San Diego. I have the good fortune and ability to escape to my studio. Recently, my creative efforts have come through blacksmithing. Hammer blows bring joy through diverted tension, 
normalcy and a bit of impact-based therapy here in studio isolation. Stay well, California. Hi, my name is Wendy. I use shelter in place as an opportunity to practice my meditation. I practice Bodhi meditation every day. It's a very powerful healing meditation and the best way to boost our immune system. I also pray for the victims of the coronavirus and the nurses and doctors who are fighting in the front line. Are we ready for the next song? Mute and try going off mute if you feel if you feel like it. This is Jacqueline Kokoris, and we just had an awesome joy-boosting dance party from our homes. There were 80 people on the line, I think, in 60 different locations. Uh, we sang together, we danced together, and boosted our joy together. And I'm her sister, Sophia Kokoris. Um, it's funny, it's like you can't really hear anybody else because we all have to mute ourselves while we sing to just make it make the sound work. Um, but you can really feel it. Like you can feel the energy just by looking at um, people's screens and seeing them smile and seeing them dance and seeing them laugh. But in any case, sing your heart out on mute, dance, enjoy, and love you guys. And scroll through and look at everybody. Here we go. about you? What are you doing to find joy right now? Leave us a voicemail at 415-636-9801. That's 415-636-9801. We might air your voicemail on the show in the coming weeks. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain, we all have sorrow. We've been talking about how food banks are stepping up for folks who are vulnerable right now. Restaurants have also taken a hit, but some have transformed themselves during this pandemic. They're coming up with creative ways to serve not only their usual customers, but people in their communities who have limited access to food. Reporter Bianca Taylor brings us this story from her hometown. Early mornings are busy at Solomon's Deli in downtown Sacramento. So we start you know, around 7, 7.30 every morning, and the crew gets in, and, and they start prepping right away. I've known Solomon's co-founder and developer, Andrea Lepore, for years. She's a close family friend, and I also worked the gelato bar at one of her restaurants when I was in college. She's the kind of boss who would bring us treats on early morning shifts, and today at Solomon's, it's no different. She's got a box of donuts for the kitchen staff who are chopping vegetables and whipping up sauces. But instead of the deli's usual pastrami sandwiches and bagels with lox, today's menu is breakfast burritos, 500 of them. Solomon's Deli had only been open nine months when the city of Sacramento declared its shelter-in-place orders. We hadn't even really celebrated our grand opening. Named after Russ Solomon, the founder of Sacramento-based Tower Records, 
Solomon's Deli also has a second floor music space where Sacramento bands like Black Yacht Club, Jessica Malone, and Jackie Green were scheduled to perform. And shows booked all the way through June that we had to cancel. At first, Solomon's did what many restaurants around the state did and switched to takeout and delivery orders only. But then Andrea heard that a local nonprofit was in need of a kitchen for meal prep. We obviously had one, and we had, you know, some great kitchen cooks that needed work. Practically overnight, Andrea and her team turned Solomon's Deli into a community kitchen, cooking meals for Sacramento's elderly, unsheltered, and medically vulnerable, the same people who have a high risk of contracting COVID-19. We've tried to make things, you know, as hearty as possible. So we've done chili verde, we've done pasta bolognese, we've done burritos, things that are easy to eat, but also keep you full. Kaiser Permanente, Sutter, Dignity, and UC Davis Health System are all helping pay for the food and labor costs. And staff from the nonprofit Sacramento Covered deliver the meals made at Solomon's to 25 sites around the city. This obviously isn't what Andrea had in mind when she dreamed of opening her restaurant. I do like the fact of, you know, feeling like I'm contributing and, and doing something and, and being around food, which I do love. It's not clear what's going to happen to Solomon's Deli. But I know Andrea. She's tough and optimistic. When it comes to the future, she says right now she's just focused on making healthy, delicious meals for people who need them. Plus, she's no stranger to hard times in the restaurant business. You know, I opened my first restaurant. It was 2009, um, which was, you know, at the time, the worst economy we had seen. So we survived that. So I'm up for another challenge. Which is good, because the future will certainly be challenging. For The California Report, I'm Bianca Taylor. My biggest struggle of this pandemic is making sure that my coworkers are safe, my family is safe, and that I'm safe. Each day I go into work filled with fear and anxiety of bringing something home to my family and loved ones. And my patients who have undergone emotional, financial, and physical hardships. And as a Those are some voices of Filipino nurses and healthcare workers. Some 20% of nurses here in California are Filipino. And a new project called Filipinos Feed the Frontlines is trying to make sure hungry healthcare workers can get delicious meals while at the same time supporting small Filipino restaurants in danger of going out of business. We had to shut down our restaurants and lay all our employees off. We have no revenue coming in, and we are also late on our utilities and rent. One of the organizers behind that effort is Desi Dangannon. He's the founder of Cultivate Labs, which is a nonprofit in San Francisco that works to support the local Filipino community there. So tell me, Desi, how did you guys come up with this idea of Filipinos Feed the Frontlines? You know, I knew that things were bad out there. So we sent out a survey to our network of entrepreneurs. And, you know, the, the data we got was really startling. And it was, frankly, it was pretty scary to see that a lot of the restaurants were seeing 90% drops in revenue. And that um, some of them were reporting that they only had about two months worth of cash to stay alive. And so that was really our inspiration was, what could we do quickly to try to save these restaurants? 
I was pulled into a meeting by another executive director of a nonprofit called United Players. And so we have numerous of Filipino organizations that all consolidated under one umbrella and working in solidarity to make sure we take care of the Filipino community. All of us working together. And that really kind of inspired me to put all the different dots together of trying to save entrepreneurs, uh, trying to address the need of uh, frontline healthcare workers, and most importantly, those in need in our community. A lot of them uh, happen to be seniors. A lot of them also happen to be undocumented or lower income. And these are the populations that are most impacted by the economic devastation of COVID-19. So say I'm a nurse and I'm hungry on a long shift and, you know, I want some yummy lumpia or a fusion adobo burrito. Do I just call up and put in an order directly with the restaurant or how does it work? Well, actually, on our website, there's a button uh, where you can get your uh, facility listed as a distribution site. And what we do is we just kind of go down the list and start fulfilling uh, requests as uh, donations come in. You know, in our first week, we were able to distribute 600 meals. And then in our third week, that jumped up to a little over 2,000 meals. And is it only for Filipino healthcare workers? No, not at all. I mean, the premise of this is that it's Filipinos feeding the front line. So if you're Filipino on the front line, then you're going to be fed. But if you're non-Filipino and you're working in the front line, you're going to be fed. If you're a community member that needs food and you're not Filipino, you're going to be fed by Filipinos. What is your fundraising model? How are you getting the money to pay for the meals? Oh, this is pure crowdfunding. Uh, all of these donations are coming uh, from around the nation. It's not just the Bay Area. We have a large cluster of donors from Los Angeles. Uh, we also have uh, people as far away as Florida, Oklahoma, New York, and the East Coast that have been donating to our campaign. Ancient Filipino traditions revolve around uh, certain values, and one of those values is kapwa. And Kapwa is basically a very deep and interconnected sense of empathy. There's another aspect to this, too, of coming together. I mean, you know, the Philippine archipelago of islands is in, in an area that is always hit by typhoons and hurricanes. And so natural disasters and calamities are kind of a part of life. And, you know, we have a dysfunctional government there, so you can't really depend on the government to help you. So you have to turn to your, your fellow Kakabayan or your fellow countrymen to, to find help. And so we always band together when times of crisis occurs. We've seen such an explosion in Filipino cuisine uh, in the Bay Area and across California. There's so many food trucks now. There's so many fusion restaurants. Um, yet at the same time, the numbers that you're sharing are so devastating for these tiny businesses. You know, do you think that an effort like this is going to help them to survive? Are they really staying afloat through the efforts so far? I mean, this crisis is not going to end in three weeks or in two months. But, you know, what we're doing is helping. The level of sales that they're at right now is, is so precarious that three to $4,000 that we're giving our, our alliance of food businesses is actually a lifeline. Desi, thanks so much for talking with us. Oh, thank you for having me and amplifying our campaign. It's not just for Filipinos. It's for all people in need. For us, food is medicine, so let's heal it together. All right. 
Desi Dengannon is one of the organizers behind a new project called Filipinos Feed the Front Lines. They're trying to support small Filipino restaurants and healthcare workers during the pandemic. They started off in the Bay Area, but now they're working with partners in Los Angeles and around the state to expand the project. They're also planning on opening a new park in San Francisco's Filipino Cultural District. It's going to have social distancing grids painted on the ground to allow seniors to safely get exercise. And that's the California Report magazine for this week. Our show is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. The California Report's senior editor is Victoria Maleon. Our team also includes Amanda Font, Rob Spate, Katie McMurrin, and Ariella Markowitz. Special thanks this week to Saul Gonzalez from our sister show, the California Report's Morning News Service. I'm Sasha Coca. Hope you're hanging in there. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically, Learn more at Irvine.org. And the California Healthcare Foundation, standing with all Californians as we address the coronavirus emergency together. On the web at chcf.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.